where the miracle of pregnancy meets the reality of your changing body, where taking care of our kids meets taking care of ourselves, and where the daily frustrations of feeding a family meet establishing lifelong healthy habits. This is The Messy Intersection. Welcome, everybody, to the very first episode of The Messy Intersection. My name is Diana, and I will be your host. I am a registered dietitian, a certified lactation educator counselor, and a soon-to-be certified intuitive eating counselor. But above all that, I am a mom, and I am in this messy place right along with you. I'm really glad you're here. I've been planning this show for a long time now because there are so many important messages that I want to share, you know, that I see just such a strong need for in our mothering circles, and I just can't get all of what I want to say across in a blog post or an Instagram quote alone. I really believe that just like, you know, life is in the journey, the solutions are so often in the conversations. And even when there aren't really any solutions, just having the conversation gives us the support and the reassurance we need to remember that we are all in this place together. And yeah, it's messy. I am especially excited for this conversation you're about to hear with Alex to be the inaugural episode of this show. We're going to be talking about breastfeeding challenges. And I think that no matter whether you're currently pregnant or your kids are no longer infants, no matter whether you personally breastfed or formula fed or both, this is a topic we can all relate to. I think it really says a lot about motherhood on the whole, that we are met with this battle between breastfeeding and formula feeding the second we become mothers and the guilt and shame and snobbery that it's all wrapped up in. I hope you can tell by now that that is not what this podcast is all about. This podcast is about tearing down those walls and supporting each other to do right by our kids and just as importantly, to nourish ourselves. Just a quick note to say that the content you'll hear on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. As well, the views I express are my personal opinions and do not represent the views of my clients or employers. So with that, my guest today is Alex Caspero. She is a registered dietitian and a registered yoga teacher, and she is the owner of Delish Knowledge and author of Fresh Italian Cooking for the New Generation. Her award-winning blog, Delish Knowledge, focuses on making whole food, vegetarian eating deliciously simple. Alex is also the co-founder of Plant-Based Juniors, an evidence-based platform that helps parents navigate the world of plant-based prenatal and pediatric nutrition. Additionally, she is the co-author of Joyful Eating Nourished Life, which helps others discover a happier, healthier relationship with food and their body. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me, Diana. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for joining me. I am really excited for this conversation. And I definitely want to chat with you more about PBJ's plant-based juniors a little later in the show, because that is such an awesome resource that I'm sure many of our parents listening will want to know about. So I think I just want to start with a little background on you and me and how how we sort of briefly hung out as mom friends when I briefly lived in St. Louis, which is where you are located, right? Yes, yes. How long were you here? Two years? A year and a half. A year and a half. Yeah, almost. Yeah. Yeah. I move around a lot. But just for the listeners to know, so I actually moved to St. Louis from New York City, where I formerly lived, when my own second kid was just three weeks old, which was totally, you know, traumatic and a big life change. And I had met Alex a couple of times at dietitian events Mm -hmm. and knew that she was based in St. Louis and also knew from her social media that she was currently pregnant at the time with her older child. And I basically, the way I remember it, I was like, hi, I'm a dietitian too. I'm pregnant too. I'm moving to St. Louis too. Can we be friends? (laughs) Yes, yes. And I'm so glad you did. (laughs) Yeah. And Alex was so supportive in like helping me understand, you know, various neighborhoods in St. Louis and school districts. And I actually ended up buying a house in the same neighborhood as you pretty much. Mm -hmm. But we both had newborn babies at the time. So finding time to hang out was always a challenge for us. But we did make it happen a couple of times. And I was always really grateful for those times. And then out of the blue, I I moved to Oklahoma City where I am now. And we we stayed in touch. And I love following her online resources, which are so great for parents. But, you know, the reason I invited Alex on the show today is that she's got a really important story to share about feeding her older son. So, Alex, I'd love for you to just start us off by sharing what your feeding experience with your son was like. 
Yeah. So I kind of want to, it's, it's interesting to sort of go back to that place in time. He's two and a half now. And obviously we're in a much different space when it comes to feeding. We're dealing with much different issues than we were back then. But I was, you know, sort of rereading what I had written about, you know, in advance of this podcast. And it just like hit me again, all those emotions. And I just remember that rawness that I felt. So I, you know, I was sort of that horrible breast is best person. And I, and I say that jokingly, but I really believed that, you know, I, my, my very first job out of college was at WIT. And this was a while ago. I mean, this was, you know, a decade ago. And even then it was very much a, a breast is best message. And I really felt that if someone wasn't breastfeeding, you know, I, you're always the parent that you want to be before you have kids. But mm-hmm. I was so judgmental, you know, and I remember counseling patients mm-hmm. and I just think back and think, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I had yeah. no idea all the struggles you went through. But, you know, I, I assumed I was going to do it for a long time. My sister, she breastfed her kids well until they were two, two and a half. And I was like, oh, I'll be the same way. And anyways, that did not happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Spoiler alert. So we were in the hospital and I was a little concerned. You know, I really wanted to kind of make sure I had the the best approach I could. So I remember calling in a lactation consultant. I, you know, things were kind of going okay. I thought that he was latching all right, but went on a second opinion, brought her in. Yep, check mark, everything is good to go. He had wet diapers, he had dirty diapers. And I thought, okay, I'm eating all the check marks. Let's, let's go home. And we were at the house and I think it was about day three and something just didn't feel right. I was like, I don't know. He's just really not satisfied. He was really fussy. And I was kind of doing some research and I was like, I don't think he's, I don't think he's drinking enough. Like I, I, maybe I'm not getting enough milk. You know, it was only a few days in and we had the appointment at the pediatrician's office in a day or so. So I kind of chalked it up to, well, we'll see what's going to happen there. And, you know, it it was really sort of a, I don't say a slap in the face, but it just was not what I was expecting. We went to the doctor and they weighed my son and he had lost, I think at that point, like 12% of his body weight. And it was just like, how did I not know this? I'm a dietitian. I had worked at WIC. I thought I knew all the signs to look for, you know, and it was just this, like, I obviously was in, d- didn't, didn't understand what was really happening. And it just took a lot to process. And I mean, I sobbed. Yeah. I think I was in that, that pediatrician's office, just, you know, hyperventilating. First, I was so confused and, and didn't understand what she was telling me. And then it was also this reality of, oh my gosh, I need to supplement. I don't even know what the different kinds of formulas are. I just felt very overwhelmed and just didn't know, didn't know really what to do. And, you know, it was a, it was definitely a a tough process to sort of get my head around and, and really grieve that relationship that I wanted with him. And then also, you know, give myself the, the grace and support that it's okay. And, yeah. you know, now I look at him, he's this yummy, chubby <laughs> little toddler and he's growing wonderfully and was, you know, jumped back from all that weight loss and is, is now thriving. But, you know, in that, in that moment, it was just like, it, it felt very scary and very overwhelming. Yeah, definitely. Cause as if you're not dealing with enough, I mean, obviously you just recovered from childbirth that was going on. Yes. Uh, he's, he's your first child. So you've never done this before. It sounds to me like it was especially confusing for you because he was latching well and a he was lot latching of well. Yeah. And, and I thought he was feeding well too, right. you know, which was also this sort of trickiness. And, and I, I, you know, I look back and I think, did they really check or did they just sort of see the latch and think everything was okay? You know, come to find out too, he had swallowed a bunch of fluid. I I had a very complicated birth. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what some of that output was. You know, I kept thinking like, oh my gosh, we're having dirty diapers. We're having wet diapers. Yeah, we were in the beginning. But again, there was so much fluid that happened during the birthing process. Mm. You know, it's it's all these signs that I, I think I was looking for. And then in hindsight, it was like, oh, if I knew there was a problem, I probably would have been a lot more aware 
to to check. I just, I, I really say I was blissfully unaware. Yeah. And I so had no idea. It sounds like you were feeling guilty about not being able to recognize the signs, but at the same time, you're not a pediatrician. You're not a lactation consultant. Totally, yes. So we put this pressure on ourselves to sort of know it all when we're having our very first kid, right? Yeah. You know, how, how are we supposed to know it all when we've never done this before? Even right. for, for people like you and me who are nutrition professionals and, and yes. you have your experience of previously working at WIC, it sounds to me like your experience at WIC really drew you in more to that sort of breast is best, kind of want to say propaganda, right? Of like oh, yeah. Breastfeed at all costs. Yeah. Kind of deal. Well, and I, I really had to unlearn that. I mean, yeah. I had to unlearn the idea that like I wasn't a bad mom, that mm-hmm. love is not measured in ounces. And I, I still had a breastfeeding relationship with my son, you know, and I, and I think that's also something that I really love to talk about is you know, we started supplementing on day three and we had to for lots of reasons as far as my supply and, and what we, we found out afterwards. But, you know, I, I still breastfed Vander in some, in some capacity mm-hmm. until he was six months. And I, I love those moments. I cherish those moments. Yeah. And I'm so glad that it doesn't have to be all or nothing if you don't want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. So Alex has a really great blog post on her website, delishknowledge.com, which I will link to in the show notes that goes through her whole experience about this. And and it's honestly, it's a really emotional post and, and you go through the emotions you were feeling and how you don't want other moms to feel this way and mm-hmm. how you kind of ultimately came to terms with a lot of this. So I'd love for anyone listening to check that out. But I also want to ask Alex, you know, you describe in that post some feelings of like not being enough for him or feeling guilty that, you know, your body wouldn't do what everyone is telling you it was perfectly capable of doing. What were your emotions around, you know, any guilt that you felt? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting to the internal guilt that I think we place on ourselves for, for so much of parenting, right? I mean, yeah. I think that I'm constantly trying to remove the, the guilt around things when it comes to the decisions I'm making. And, you know, my, my, my favorite mantra ever is we're all doing the best we can with what we've got. Mm-hmm. And I just really believe that applies to a lot of parenting. You know, I think for, for me, I, a lot of the guilt was placed internally, but it was also placed externally. You know, no one believed me that I, what I was telling them when I was talking about my supply and, you know, I would go to different lactation consultants. I, I, I mean, I, you name it, I did it or I saw someone, you know, I, I made appointments with special chiropractors. I made an appointment with this, you know, specialist supposedly in like tongue tie just to see. So I drove like an hour and a half for an appointment, you know, I was really trying to figure out what was going on. And all of these quote unquote experts kept telling me that it couldn't be low supply, that every woman is able to breastfeed. And so, you know, you you hear these messages and you think, oh, well, it is my fault. I'm not doing enough. And then it just, you know, I kept getting different supplements or maybe I should try this. You know, I ended up ordering medication that is illegal in the United (laughs) States because I was so desperate you know, yeah. and, and, and again, it, it was sort of, I felt guilty, but I was also almost being told too, like, well, if you just try harder, yeah. you know, or just do more or just do this. And, you know, at some point it had to be like, look, I'm important too. Absolutely. And my sanity and my experience as a mother is also important. You know, triple feeding around the clock is so you can only take that for so much. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we can, we can get into what triple feeding actually is. But the point you just made makes me want to bring up. So I'm trained as a certified lactation educator counselor. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting that the parenting mantra you just shared that we're, we're all doing the best that we have with you know, what we have available. That was something that my professor really underscored whenever as a lactation counselor, I would be talk, I should be talking to someone who's feeling guilty about formula feeding, or maybe they formula fed their older kid, but they want to try breastfeeding. And, and I'm trained to say, Hey, you know, it's cool. I suspect you did the best you could with what you had available. Mm -hmm. But another takeaway that I took from my training was the same messaging that you were talking about receiving from all the practitioners you saw that it's very rare that a woman is unable to breastfeed or has true low supply. And I was trained that I'm going to encounter women who 
say, oh, I don't have enough milk. I, I have to use formula because I don't have enough milk. And, and really almost kind of discrediting where those women are at in terms of what they feel with their own body about the amount of milk that they're producing. And it's a complex issue because on the one hand, yes, we want providers to be you know, empowering women that they absolutely can Mm -hmm. breastfeed. But on the other hand, there's the issue of the baby's safety, right? Like the baby's got to be getting those calories. And if the woman's truly not producing them, we got to make sure that baby is safe first and foremost. And then it's exactly what you're just saying about your mental health being (laughs) valuable and how much time and effort it would potentially take for you to you know, establish a a full supply as all these practitioners are encouraging you to do when we know that formula is perfectly safe and you still gain lots of the benefits of having a breastfeeding relationship with your son because you were, you were breastfeeding to a degree. And it's not only about the actual breast milk that is or isn't coming out of your breasts, right? It's about holding Mm -hmm. him and the bonding and you know, I know some women have trouble with latching and I don't want to be, you know, I, I want to be cognizant of that issue as well, that some, a lot of women feel a loss when they can't even have that relationship of the baby latching. But on the whole, I think that this just really underscores that we're putting way too much pressure on ourselves. And I think a lot of it has to do with those messages that we're getting from other practitioners. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, I, it took a while, but I was finally sort of diagnosed in a sense with insufficient glandular tissue. And mm-hmm. so it was like this almost confirmation of like, see, right. I'm not a quote unquote bad mom. I, I was doing the best I could for my child. Yeah. Also, my body didn't allow me to do it. I, I, I had surgery soon after Vander was born just to deal with some delivery complications that I had. And, you know, who, who knows, you know, chicken or the egg, and it doesn't really matter. But I think that if someone would have just told me in the beginning, like, Hey, I see you. Yeah. I know this is hard. It's going to be okay. You know, I think it's one thing to say, I understand how hard you're trying to breastfeed. Let me see what I can do to support you. It's a much different thing to say, breast is best. This is what you have to be doing. And I think that that's sometimes a message that it's convoluted when we talk about wanting to support women in breastfeeding instead of saying breast is best. There's a, there's to me a, a big distinction. And, you know, I think that if I had more support, you know, especially from sort of these, these practitioners that I was looking to for guidance, it, it just would have made me feel a lot more comforted and, and assured in my decision a lot earlier. Yeah, that's yeah. huge. I'm really glad you made that point because that's huge. And that's definitely something that I want to get across and even having you on the show. You know, something else I wanted to bring up in, is another article I'm going to link to in the show notes here is that in my training as a lactation educator counselor, and maybe the practitioners you were working with shared the same statistic with you, it's repeated over and over that oh, only between one and 5% of women truly can't make enough milk for their babies. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really rare. You know, of course you can do it. We just, you know, we just need to get you set up with the right resources. Of course you can do it. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, first of all, I was looking into that statistic and apparently it's from one 1985 study that's never really been substantiated and people just like, cling to it like we do with what we like to have things tied up in neat little numbers. And then my perspective is that even if that is true, let's say it is 5% of women. Well, I know 20 moms, like (laughs) it's not not actually Uh that rare if it's one in 20 moms, but there are some researchers who are looking into it currently. And it's apparently it, it, has the potential to be a lot higher than that between one and 5% statistic. And I just think it's unfortunate that, you know, practitioners are basically taught that it's extremely uncommon for a woman to truly not be able to provide the milk that her child needs. Sure. I mean, I was taught that, you know, like we talked about before and that, I mean, again, it was a long time ago, but still at WIC, it was like, every woman can, it's just a matter of if they want to. I mean, that was unfortunately sort of the dogma that was that was pushed on us and that we, we unfortunately pushed on a lot of clients. And, you know, I don't know how much that made a difference, but, you know, it, 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 I don't, it's also interesting too, because it's one of those things where I feel at this point now, like whatever the cause is, I don't know how much that actually matters more than just saying 
it's not your fault and I hear you. You know, I think there's such a power in just saying like, whatever you're telling me, whether it's quote unquote real or imagined or something in the middle, it's, it's more about what moms are experiencing. And I just, I just would like more, I think, practitioners to be open to the idea that, you know, this mother is obviously telling you she's struggling, whether or not she is, you know, has a diagnosis of IGT or something else. It, it's okay. You know, it doesn't matter. It's more that she's letting you know that this is, this is hard for her. And I think that finding ways that we can support in a really positive way that also allows mom to feel like whatever decision she makes is the best decision. Yeah, absolutely. And what I've been thinking about is that mantra breast is best is talking about breast is best for the infant, right? And mm-hmm. that's, you know, another huge issue that we deal with throughout pregnancy and then on to when the infant is delivered is that when you're pregnant, it's like, oh, you're creating life. How are you doing, mama? Are you comfortable? And then like once the baby is born, it's like, mom goes over here. Yeah. <laughs> and it's baby, 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 baby. And it's like, yes. oh, you're healing from a traumatic birth. Sure, do that. But, you know baby, baby, baby. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone yeah. truly asked me, how, how are you doing? Right. You know, oh. this has got to be hard on you. And, you know, and yeah, so anyways, it's, it's, yes, I, I think that, you know, there's, there's so many things that can be talked about in this discussion, but mm-hmm. you know, my, my takeaway really, and, and really where I've sort of almost tried to make like amends for my previous counseling behavior is just, you know, where, where can I help you? And where can I support you? And also, where can I just let you know that it's also okay? I think that sometimes in a lot of aspects of parenting, you know, we're, we're not told enough, like, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. It wasn't what you expected it to be. It's okay. Right. You know, and- there's just this expectation versus reality conversation that a lot of women internally have to have, but then I don't think we do a good job externally promoting that. Like, that's also okay to make. Yeah. So this is a great lead into a study that I wanted to bring up. And it was in the Journal of Breastfeeding Medicine. The title of the study is Made to Feel Like Less of a Woman, The Experience of Stigma for Mothers Who Do Not Breastfeed. I'm going to get into what the study actually found, but like, can we just take a second to think about that title? (laughs) (laughs) Holy cow. And I just want to give a shout out here to Dr. Bridget Young of Baby Formula Expert. She shared this on her Facebook page. That's how I found out about it. So Baby Formula Expert is a resource that women who choose to use formula or need to use formula, uh, definitely I want them to be aware of. So I'm going to link to that as well. Yes. And shout out from my end too, because she was one of the first resources that was recommended to me when I was trying to navigate all this. I mean, it's, it's confusing. And even as a dietitian, I was like, I don't even know what I'm looking for, Yeah, you know, and, and trying to figure out what option I wanted to go with and whether certain marketing claims were necessary or not. And, and she really helped to sort of identify all of those things. So it's a fantastic resource. Yeah, that's so great to hear. So I want to read the results of this study. It was a, an in-depth survey conducted with 250 mothers with infants who were not breastfeeding. And I think that the results section of the abstract kind of says it all. They found that mothers who chose not to breastfeed reported little personal or public stigma. So that it's just a woman who said, no, nah, breastfeeding's not for me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use formula. Little personal or public stigma, which is great. In comparison, mothers who were unable to breastfeed experienced relatively more internalized stigma and perceived that other people saw them as failures. Mothers who experienced more internalized and perceived social network stigma were likely to hide the use of formula from others and had lower feelings of warmth for their infants. Knowledge about formula use and availability of support resulted in less stigma and more warmth for the infant. And, you know, I I think about that too. Obviously, so much of life is a mirror, right? So if you're feeling your own guilt, and, and I did, I had to work through a lot of my own sort of, you know, expectations, grieving this relationship that I, I thought was going to be one way, ended up a different way. And then you know, whether or not it's, it's true or not, you, you do feel that way when people look at you and you're mixing a bottle and your baby is, you know, three weeks old, or we were in one of my favorite breakfast places. Bander was fairly small. I think he was like a month. And the waitress came up to me and I was feeding him a bottle. And she said something on the lines of like, 
is that breast milk or, or something to sort of, you know, and, and, and who knows how she meant it, but I took it as, I hope you're breastfeeding him this bottle. He's too young to have this bottle, you know, all these things that I was probably thinking myself and still working through. And, you know, I, I finished feeding him the bottle and then I put him to my boob and he did not need it. It was just sort of my way in a sense to like prove to everyone that I, I was still a good mom. And, you know, I think about that, that story a lot because I didn't need to show anyone that, but right. you know, you, you feel that weight and, and, you know, strangers comments can be really disarming, especially if you're trying to work through that yourself. I'm in a much different place now, but gosh, those first few weeks were raw, yeah. you know, and, and it was, a, it was a lot to go through. And, you know, I just, I just think that we should all be aware to, even if we don't mean a comment that way, you know, if a mom's dealing with things, it can obviously get perceived that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And you wrote in your blog post that you got several you know, sort of negative comments. Was there anything else you wanted to share? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I, I think everyone just has an opinion in a sense of what you, what you should be doing. I mean, I, I find that now even with my toddler and comments people will make about, about parenting choices. But, you know, I, I think that in, in the end, you know, and, and I think about that through sort of almost to that lens of that study you just shared, mm-hmm. how much of that was you know, me, me thinking these comments were, were greater than not, but at the same time, you know, people definitely comment and they want to know what you're feeding your baby and they want to know, you know, what's going on. And, you know, even people think that meant well, like family and friends were very, you know, Oh, you're not breastfeeding. You know, just, just even, even a simple comment like that can, can really, I think be, be misconstrued in a a negative way. Yeah. And it's, what's really crazy about it is that we have these messages that breast is best. And of course, people who either had a wonderful experience breastfeeding their own kid, and they don't understand what it's like to have a more challenging experience or who have never breastfed a child because (laughs) either they aren't parents or they're not people who have the physical ability to breastfeed. Right. You know, just, they get that breast is best messaging and they get the idea that if you're not breastfeeding, it's because you chose not to, which, you know, even that's weird looking back at that study because the women who were chose not to, who were maybe more confident in their decision to be using formula, perceived less stigma than sure. the women who had the goal of breastfeeding in the first place and weren't able to. But I think that this is an interesting time to point out some research on formula use and how it's really not as Mm -hmm. evil Mm -hmm. as it's cracked up to be. One study that I find really interesting is called Effect of Early Limited Formula on Duration and Exclusivity of Breastfeeding in At-Risk Infants. So my interpretation of this study is that in, in a true case of not producing enough milk for the infant long term, this method that they use in the study wouldn't have necessarily changed your outcome. But what they demonstrated was that temporary supplementation with formula in the first few days of life, so really still in the hospital, can actually improve breastfeeding rates. And this is kind of, you know, a lot of women feel like their milk's not coming in, or in some cases, the milk really does take take longer to come in. Infant needs more calories that Mm -hmm. the mom's not able to provide at the time. And what they did was they would feed infants with a syringe with formula Mm -hmm. so that there wouldn't be nipple confusion. They didn't feed an amount of formula. They wanted the infants to still have an appetite for breastfeeding. So they didn't feed a full amount of formula that would have satiated the infant, but it did keep the infant safe, basically hydrated and fed. Mm -hmm. And they established a clear time frame for terminating formula use and transitioning back to fully breastfeeding. And what their conclusions were, were that contrary to current public health emphasis on reducing formula use during the birth hospitalization, so that would be, you know, certainly the breast is best messaging. And then there's the baby-friendly hospital initiative that works to completely either remove formula from the birth the after birth rooms or require that you get a prescription for formula. Mm-hmm. They say our results suggest that early supplementation of limited volumes of formula before mature milk production may help support long-term breastfeeding for infants with early weight loss. 
So my takeaway from that, I, I know certainly as a new mom myself, I was, you know, I kind of had the message like, if, if at all possible, I don't want to use formula, mm-hmm. you know, formula is evil and it's going to like mess with my kids, you know, gut microbiota yeah. and, mm-hmm. you know, and it, they're only going to want formula and they're not going to want breast if I can at all avoid formula use. That's what I want to do. And I really want to share this research. I mean, it is just one study, but, you know, it basically points out that formula is not evil and can even be beneficial in a lot of cases. You know, what they actually found, they had a a control group that wasn't using this intervention and the rates of long-term breastfeeding were lower in that group, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I wish I had this study when, when I was going through everything. I mean, I, we, we did a lot of syringe feed in the beginning while I was trying to figure out what was going on with supply and I couldn't do it. I mean, I, I literally would just sob so much through that feeding. My husband had to do it. And, you know, it's, it's so silly in a sense to look back and think, but it, it was so real and so raw. And it was the same thing. I kept telling him how we were like harming his gut. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I truly believed that, you know, right. and I thought that I was going to now set him up for higher risk of allergies and, and you just all this, I mean, all these things I truly believed I was doing was harmful to my child. You know, my husband, who could care less probably about anything that relates to nutrition in general, but, you know, looked at me like I was crazy and just kept saying, like, did you not hear the doctor? Like, he needs to gain weight. You know, I'm worried about all these, these potential things that I think might happen. And he's like, crazy woman, we just need to support our child. So he, you know, he keeps gaining weight and is healthy. And you know, of course he was right, but mm-hmm. yes, yes. I wish I would have had mm-hmm. that, that study to help sort of just support the idea that this, this is also going to be okay. Well, I think it's really great that you had a partner who wasn't quite as indoctrinated in this whole breast is best stuff <laughs> as you were and who could basically provide that voice of reason. Um, Thankfully. I mean, I, I don't know what we would, we, I honestly don't know if I had someone who who wasn't sort of the opposite to say like, whoa, let's step back here. Like, I understand that this is really personal for you, but it's going to be okay. And I support everything, you know, that I needed that. I don't think, yeah, I definitely, especially again, those, those first few days and, you know, you're so hormonal too. I mean, let's talk about the idea that you just went through this, especially, you know, with, with some of my complications. I mean, this like trauma of getting this baby here. And then you're also being told that, you know, he's not, he, 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 he could be in some health danger issues if we don't get weight on him soon. And, you know, you need someone to say like, this is temporary. This is going to pass. We're going to do what we can. And it's, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And it's absolutely great that you had a partner who would do that for you. I think that my husband would have done the same if I were in that situation. But as we were talking about earlier, we need more healthcare practitioners to to be able to do that too. And that's actually another reason to shout out Baby Formula Expert because she has trainings for healthcare practitioners. So either if you are a healthcare practitioner listening, or if you want to point your healthcare practitioners towards those resources, I will definitely be including a link to that in the show notes. But I wanted to move on here to just some, there's a ton of research on, you know, breastfeeding, formula feeding, you know, what Mm -hmm. is the most beneficial. But what we're learning now, and I'm going to link to one particular article that I think sums it up really well. What we're learning now is that there aren't huge differences in breastfed babies versus formula fed babies, as we've been led to believe. The article I'm going to link to is written by uh, Emily Oster, who is an author I really respect. She is the author of both the books Expecting Better and Crib Sheet, which I'll also link to. And what she does, she's an economist, but she takes her critical research training and looks at all the available research on a topic such as what are the outcomes for breastfed versus formula-fed babies, and sums it up in this article called, Is Breast Really Best? I Looked at All the Data to Find Out. And there's so many different directions I could go with this, but I I just want to share that like for one thing, it's really hard to study this topic because mm-hmm. you can't you can't randomize one group. Hey, you guys all breastfeed without a hitch, and you guys you're not allowed to breastfeed at all. <laughs> Nobody's ever going to do that study, right. right? So what we do instead is we look at women who reported that they did breastfeed and women who reported that they didn't breastfeed, and look at whether 
you know, what are the outcomes for the kids? And a major issue with that is that women who choose to breastfeed are often very different for lots of other reasons in terms mm-hmm. of their education levels, socioeconomic status, their race, even things like that, that ultimately have an impact on, you know, the baby's long-term risk of disease, things like that. But when we do isolate the research that does show us, you know, quality research that does show us whether there are differences in formula-fed babies versus breastfed babies, what we're finding is that there are some mild improvements for breastfed babies, or I don't want to say improvements, but there are some uh, mildly more positive outcomes for breastfed babies. Some of the research shows that they have improved digestion under age one, mm-hmm. lower rates of rashes and ear infections, and it certainly benefits preterm babies. But the other factors, which I think are the ones that moms really build up in their head, you know, intelligence, rates of overweight and obesity later in life, there's not really a lot of research that definitively shows that breast or formula feeding is, you know, best one way or the other. And I just, I want women to know that because formula is a really safe option and it doesn't have to just be if if your body's not cooperating you know if you are going back to work and just pumping sounds terrible to you Mm -hmm. you have the right to just use formula and it's probably not going to make a huge difference in your child's health outcomes because there are so many other factors that are going to contribute to that so many other factors. And, you know, I, how, how you are as a mother, how you're able to show up. And, you know, if you're so stressed or frantic or overly exhausted from getting up and pumping in the middle of the night, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said too about just, you know, what's best for the connection of your baby. And sometimes breastfeeding isn't going to be conducive to that, you know, depending on, on what's going on. My, my best friend, when I was going through all this, looked at me and was like, formula is not poison. Yeah. And it was like, oh yeah. And, and, you know, you, you know that of course, I don't think people maybe understand exactly how safe it is and how regulated it is and how tested it is. But you know, it was like this aha moment of like, you're right. Like, why am I so upset? You know, what am I so scared of? It's, it's not poison. I'm not harming my child. Right. You know, and, and you know, yeah. Sometimes it takes a, again, a different perspective to kind of pull you out of like, What's really important here? Well, I think, though, that that comes from the breast is best movement. And, you know, it it gets into our head. This is what we've been talking about all along. I even had an experience, you know, I had relatively little trouble breastfeeding my own kids. But a really common experience is that when you're pumping, as the baby approaches age one, you're not pumping as much as you were previously. Mm -hmm. And I was just like distraught that like I wasn't putting out enough milk. And like, if I was going to have to use formula, then like, oh my God, I don't, I don't want to have to use formula because I had the idea in my head that this was going to ultimately, you know, be some kind of like, yeah, like poison or just something really negative to put into my baby's body. And it's like, there are researchers who are making sure that this is top quality stuff. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and it's yes. going to meet all your baby's needs. In some cases, it even meets your baby's needs better than breast milk in terms of like the iron fortification. Sure, iron, yeah. Well, and, and you know, I think there's almost like this, this badge of honor. And don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I, I look at people like my sister who loved breastfeeding. It was very easy for her. She, you know, had a ton of support in her job. And, you know, obviously she had struggles. Everyone does. But, you know, she was able to keep it up until her kids were into their, you know, well, the toddlerhood. Yes, that's amazing. But I, I also think that there's sometimes this like pride point of like, I never had to use a drop of formula. Like that's- I'm better than, yeah. than, oh, than yeah. that. And I think that that's just really unfortunate too. You know, it's with everything with, you know, I see, we see it with natural birth and, you know, everyone's to, to make sure people know what kind of choices they made. And it's just, you know, I, I think sometimes that like we, c- we should be able to do better just with each other, yeah. you know, and, and, that's and not gonna- have that comparison. Yeah. And that's going to be a huge theme in this podcast going forward. And I'll share my perspective as a a woman who did not have very much trouble at all breastfeeding my kids. In retrospect, like I thought I had challenges, but my challenges were nothing compared to yours. I actually have a blog post that I wrote on my own website called Breastfeeding is a Marathon and You Don't Have to Run It. And Mm. I 
I bring it up because of what you just mentioned about, you know, fully breastfeeding and never using formula is seen of as this badge of honor. And that was my, my case. I actually, as it happened, never needed to use formula. And I'm actually still breastfeeding my two and a half year old. Mm-hmm. And I, in thinking about that and knowing that I am an advocate for women using formula, I was just thinking about my own case. Like, why is it so important to me not to use formula? Because I easily could have just, you know, stopped pumping when my older mm-hmm. kid was like seven months old. and been like, yeah, I'm just going to use formula. It's not it's just not a big deal. And any woman who did make a similar choice in that circumstance or any other circumstance, I'd be like, yeah, you do you. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, it was really important to me to keep going. And I, I ultimately equated it to marathon runners. And I say at the beginning of the post, I could barely run a 5k, <laughs> let alone a marathon. Running is not my jam, you know, but that is not to discredit the work of anyone who does work sure. towards running a marathon. If you put the work into it and you run a marathon and you get that medal at the end of the race, you absolutely deserve it. You did an awesome thing, but I am not any less of a woman or a a person who exercises or whatever, because I didn't choose to run a marathon. I'm taking care of myself and my kids in other ways. Mm -hmm. So that's something. And then what's, what's really important is to recognize that, you know, even something like marathon running or fully breastfeeding You've won, you've got the body that's capable of it. Mm-hmm. I straight up know that my body is not capable of running a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> and two, you have the resources to dedicate to it mm-hmm. because it's this is also an issue of if you need to be working full time at your shift job and you barely get enough time to pump, you know. That's a totally different issue. I had a job at the time that was very supportive and created a lactation room for me. And, you know, I wasn't like, you know, doing like one-on-one client work where I needed to make certain appointments all the time. I could just sort of at my leisure go to the pumping room whenever I needed to. Mm -hmm. I had those resources to make it work. And that's the same as, you know, being able to, you know, whatever, get up at 5am and train for your marathon. I don't actually know what people who train for marathons do. (laughs) They get up early. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, they, they have the ability to do that because their schedule and their finances allow for that. And, you know, nothing about that should take away from the achievement of, you know, whatever it is you're pursuing, right? It doesn't have to totally. be running a marathon. And I'll say, too, in, in my case, I'm I'm very grateful that I am so privileged in the sense that I work for myself. The schedule, you know, I didn't have to ask anyone's permission to, to you know, to feed when I needed to. and I, I did have the financial resources to go and try all these specialists. And, you know, it's, it was, it was grateful to me in that time. I look back now and have zero shame and zero guilt about what we went through. And I, again, I, I wish I could go back and hug that mama and just be like, oh my goodness, this is going to be okay. You know, and your son is going to thrive. And he did. But also, you know, yes, if I could ma- wave a magic wand, and not have to go through that. And, and, you know, that's okay too. I I wish I could, Um, you know, that's not how my story and my journey ended up, but you know, I was, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I was able to really test everything and just say, you know, this, this wasn't how it was meant to be in the way I wanted it to be. And that's okay. Yeah. And I think that's a really awesome note to wrap up on, especially for anyone who is perhaps currently pregnant listening is that, you know, if this is similar to the experience that you have once your kid is born in having a struggle with breastfeeding, like we want to be waving that magic wand for you right now. <laughs> like you're going to be okay, mama, like, you know, it, formula, breast milk, whatever you end up feeding your kid. I mean, hopefully it's either formula or breast milk and not something <laughs> else, <laughs> but you know, that baby is going to be okay. And on that note, Alex, you are actually currently pregnant, right? Yes, yes. I feel like I'm about to pop. I'm oh. doing a few weeks. So yeah. And you know, it's I I, mean, I think every every experience is I, I try to look at it as some sort of teacher, you know, and, and I look back now and just kind of getting ready for what's gonna happen with this baby and the unknown of, you know, where where we're gonna be. And I'm I'm I, I really am grateful that I went through so much of that with my son because I think I have a much healthier perspective this time around. And I, I'm much, I think, faster to, to 
to give myself the grace that I need. I'm going to try again, you know, to breastfeed. And I also know that, you know, I, I might not have the, the body, the tissue to be able to support that. And that's, that's okay. Yeah. You know, and, and it's my choice and it's, you know, I, I'm going to try to do what I can. I am not going to go through all the hoops I did last time. That was just too mentally exhausting, you know, to try to figure all that out, but I'm going to give it, you know, my, my best effort. I've got a lactation consultant that I really like and trust. And then we're going to, you know, we already sort of worked out that we're going to be meeting the beginning just in case there are issues and there are problems, you know, hopefully we can be able to correct them. But, you know, also I, I found a formula that I love. That worked for my son. I've already bought it. So I know that that option's there in case I need it. Yeah, that's great. I love your perspective. And, you know, it's it's hard as a first-time mom to, to have a perspective like that. But I just hope that anyone who's listening can kind of, you know, hear where you're at now, mm-hmm. now that you've, you're about, you know, two and a half years with your experience of feeding your first kid under your belt and how you're framing, you know, how you're going to, whatever happens, you know, with your, with this yes. next little baby that's coming any day now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully not any day. Hopefully right. there's a few more days in there, but yes, yes. Sooner than, than I think sometimes when I look yeah. at the calendar. Oh, yeah. I remember those days. So awesome conversation, Alex. I'm really happy that you were able to share this with everyone today. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, I would love for you to tell us where we can find you and particularly share some more about Plant-Based Juniors and why you created that resource for moms. Yes, yes. So I I am a longtime vegetarian, mostly kind of plant-based eater. I call myself predominantly plant-based, which means I eat mostly plants and you know, I occasionally eat things like eggs and dairy. And I found when I was pregnant and also when my son was born, there just wasn't a lot of evidence-based research out there. I would join different Facebook groups and some of the information being talked about, I was just like, that's not correct. That's not, that's not right. And I felt like, gosh, you know, this is really hard to dig through, especially some of the recommendations, you know, in, in pregnancy and, and what's needed and different nutrient needs. And I felt like, okay, if I'm having so much trouble trying to figure all this out with, you know, two degrees in nutrition. Imagine with the average mom who doesn't have maybe that luxury of, of being able to read studies and decipher what the recommendations actually are. So at that time, another good friend of mine was also pregnant in a similar dietary pattern, Whitney of Whitney English RD. And we sort of said, you know, let's just put together an Instagram page and just kind of talk about the things that we're finding and, and hopefully just trying to help other moms. And it's really sort of taken off and, and morphed. And, you know, our, our message really is we think that more plants on the plate is better. I don't really care what else you're eating. I think that there's so much benefit in getting all of us, kids included, to be introduced to more plant foods and sort of having that be part of a, an overall diet as we, you know, get older. And that's, that's really our mission. So we try to make nutrition really fun. We try to educate around certain topics, prenatal and pediatric nutrition. But we have two books. One is The Pregnancy Guide, which really is the guide that I, I was looking for when I was pregnant and couldn't find it. And then like Diana, we're also big proponents of baby-led weaning. But you know, if you're a vegetarian and you're trying to do baby-led weaning, some of the messages around iron and meat can be really confusing. And so we tried to take it on you know, if you, if you don't want to introduce meat, but obviously are very concerned about iron intake, here's, here's some evidence-based ways to, to do it. So that's called First Bites. You can find all of that on our website at Plant Based Juniors. And we are also pretty active over on Instagram at, at Plant Based Juniors. Yeah. And I'll say, I definitely want everybody to check out the Plant Based Juniors Instagram page because it is just, it's really beautiful and really visual. And <laughs> no matter what, like, I, I'm, I'm an omnivore and so are my kids, and I still get a ton of great information from your posts. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do want to say too, we, we really do strive to be a very inclusive mm-hmm. community. You know, our, like I said, our, our mantra is really around just trying to get everyone to eat more plants and also, all the different feeding issues. You know, we talked to parents, some of the big things are like, Hey, my kid hates vegetables. So it's, you know, how do we, how do we tackle that? And also understand too, that, yeah, my kid does too. So. Yeah. And I love how you use, often use the phrase predominantly plant-based because same as we've been talking about with, you know, is it all or nothing with breastfeeding or formula? You're offering grace to parents who Mm -hmm. have have some cheese sometimes. Yes. (laughs) Or, or, you know, in your case, you ended up using dairy-based formula, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. nobody should be judged for that kind of stuff. 
No, no. And, you know, we'll, we'll do so again. So, yeah. 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 Great. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for taking the time to share your story and good luck to you with this little baby that's coming and take care. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Diana. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the very first episode of The Messy Intersection. Since Alex and I recorded that interview right before the pandemic got serious, I asked her to share a quick update about her birth and what it's like to have a baby in a pandemic. Here's what she said. So I ended up having my daughter the day the world basically shut down, which was a pretty surreal time to have a new baby. In some ways, it was nice because I was able to be cocooned with my daughter and my son and my husband, not have to go anywhere. But it was also pretty difficult to suddenly lose my tribe of family and friends that I had counted on to help out, especially in those first few weeks. As expected, I had feeding issues. Once again, I had them right from the start. I don't really know why I thought this time would be different mechanically, but it wasn't. And just like my son, I I had to mourn that loss. Did have one sort of tough grieving period in the hospital, and then that was kind of it, and I was over it and just sort of accepted what was happening. And seven months later, I am happy to report that we have a great breastfeeding relationship, even though she gets the vast majority of her nutrition from formula. I'm really grateful that Alex shared that update. The ways that the pandemic has influenced our experiences as mothers and exacerbated our existing challenges of feeling overwhelmed and isolated will also be a theme we'll be exploring going forward on this show. I hope to create a space where we can share those messy things, support each other, and know that our lived experiences are valid and important. On a lighter note, now that we're going to be mom friends, I want you to have my phone number. Seriously, I want you to take this phone number and save it into your phone right now. You can save it as Diana Rice. You can save it as the messy intersection. I want you to have it because this is going to be one way for you to share your thoughts on the show with me and get easy access to all of the resources I'm going to be sharing with you. It's not a gimmick. I am not going to be spamming you with marketing texts. I just know how much easier it would be for me to send a text for a resource after listening to a podcast rather than heading over to my computer. So it's a service that I want to provide for you. Okay, the number is 405-407-MESS. That's 405, which is the area code for where I live in Oklahoma City, or you could remember it like the 405 freeway in Los Angeles, 407, lucky seven, just two numbers more than 405, and mess, M-E-S-S, of course, for the messy intersection. 405, 407, mess. I would absolutely love for you to text me the word hello, and I will text you back an invitation to the Messy Intersection private Facebook group. If you like what you're hearing on the show, this Facebook group is going to be the only place on the internet that is exclusively dedicated to the messy intersection. I do have other social media channels, Instagram, Facebook page. I go by the Baby Steps Dietitian there, and I will certainly be sharing lots of content about the show on those channels, but the Facebook group is going to be the place to talk about the episodes, share what else you want to hear on the show, and just connect with similarly messy mamas. So text hello to 405-407-MESS to get set up with that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you, hearing your feedback, and learning more about your struggles and what you want to hear about on this show. So I hope you'll text me hello, and I hope you'll tune in next week. Until then, embrace the mess. Take care.